So this is the first time I realized, gosh, there's such a thing as a money mindset and you can change it. I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to struggle. Like I don't have to feel guilty about having money or spending money. I don't have to always be worried about money running out or where it's going to come from. And this was just like a revelation. Mm -hmm. I thought that's just, they were just facts. And then it was like, no, that doesn't have to be a fact. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was obsessed at this point. Mm -hmm. It was like someone had drawn back the curtains. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, this is Michelle and welcome back. I believe that mastering your money is essential for designing a good life. And I've talked about it on the show on SoloCast and have had guests discuss it. And we will definitely continue the conversation around money mindset because I believe it's so important and especially for women. So joining us today to share her story and perspective is Polly Alexander, who is a certified master coach and intuitive healer. She went from being a chronic under-earner to becoming a multi-six-figure entrepreneur. She overcame decades of self-limiting beliefs about money to living a life she loves. Polly is the creator of Money Beautifully and works to help others clear their money blocks and write a new story about money. Welcome, Polly. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Hi, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here and dive in with you. So you have to tell us, where are you based? And I believe it's in Spain. So I'd like to hear that. And what is life like right now with the pandemic over there? Because we're in the United States here. Yeah. So I made a rather fortuitous decision considering that I didn't know a pandemic was coming. So in January, I had a sudden burning urge that I needed to find a home now and leave the UK. So I put my home in London on the market completed on the 1st of March, two weeks before the pandemic, and I paid a deposit on a place in Spain. So I was actually in the US when the pandemic started. I was in LA hosting an event out there. And I stayed out there for a bit, but then realized it was going to be better to be back in Europe. And so during the lockdown, I navigated my way from LA through Madrid into the epicenter of what was the pandemic at that point, and then from Madrid to Ibiza. And I was able to move into my house um, at that point. So I moved moved countries during the lockdown. (laughs) How did that go? (laughs) You know what? It was an experience. (laughs) Yeah. I've got to say, like, it wasn't easy, but I don't think it was easy for anyone. Let's face it. I think everybody's experience has been, and it's been challenged for everyone. Um, we had an extremely strict lockdown in, in Ibiza, which is, comes under Spain. Mm. And you're not even allowed to leave the house for exercise for eight weeks. Children were not allowed to leave the house. So it was very, very strict. So I spent eight weeks indoors um, on my own, apart from walking the dog. 
if you had a dog, what was the reason you were allowed to leave? Oh my goodness. And you got your dog in November, didn't you? Exactly. I got my dog in November. The dog flew, flew across the world with me, flew to LA, flew back to Spain. And I've got to say, again, another fortuitous decision because lockdown with the dog was just magical. That company and that unconditional love that animals give, it was really wonderful. And it lets you go outside, which is everything, you know, just to get some fresh air. That's so hard. So what's it like today? What's it like now? Yeah, well, um, I'm really grateful we had such a strict lockdown because we only had um, very few cases here on this island, only 12 deaths. Mm. And we are actually opening up now. We've opened up our borders this week to Europe, sadly not to US yet, Mm. but we've opened up to the rest of Europe. We have tourists coming on holiday. Um, The bars and restaurants are allowed to reopen under certain conditions. The shops are reopening. So it really it feels like a massive shift forwards, I have to say. Um, They did bring in a new law as of today that you have to wear a mask all the time in public unless you're exercising, um, eating or drinking. Mm. So that's that's a little tightening there. Mm. But they're doing it because there's so many tourists coming onto the island because the primary income here is tourism. Wow. Yeah, it's such an unusual time for everyone. Thank you for sharing that because I think people are curious what's happening in other places. Let's begin with your money story because you do have a really interesting one. I know you worked for a magazine, you did wedding photography, you worked in advertising, and here now you guide people on mastering their mindset around money and having an abundance mindset. How did you get to do what you do today? Yeah, it's been a long and winding journey. (laughs) That's for sure. I think it's really common now to have a portfolio of careers Mm -hmm. Um, as we grow and develop uh, we move through different things Um, so I wasn't even aware I had a money story Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think for the first almost 40 years of my life um, money was just something that you avoided there was secrecy there was some sort of shame around it it was talked about behind closed doors Um, The message I got was that it's hard to come by. You have to work really hard for it. And there's never enough. Mm. So I started my 20s. um, I got a good job. I got a good degree. I got a good job. And I went into that model of compliance, working hard. Um, And at first, it was a real novelty to actually have a salary. Mm -hmm. And that was very exciting to have financial (laughs) freedom, to travel for the first time. My parents were not big travelers. Um, So this was very, very exciting. But I was in that pattern of never enough. So I'd get to the end of the month. The money didn't last to the end of the month. So I'd use credit cards. I was in my Mm -hmm. 20s. I didn't care. And so I was kind of in that sort of pattern of I guess like a functional <laughs> functional dysfunctional because mm-hmm. I was just kind of the same as everybody else I always spend more than I earned but you know you just knew that you'd get promoted and it'd be okay <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the 20 something money mindset right, right. <laughs> although I do think 20 somethings are probably a bit more responsible these days certainly based on the ones that are in my team well it's funny and, and I have to say that I, I was always a very good saver, but it's it's I think the money story and what you learn as you as we'll talk about today does inform that. So it's it is interesting to hear. Um so okay, please continue. 
Yeah, and I think it's also sometimes a reaction. We, we learn from our parents, but we also rebel against it. And mm-hmm. so I, my mum liked to spend money, but was very cautious. So I learned mm-hmm. that it was okay to buy nice things, but you should always get a deal from her. Uh, that's what she taught me she was very good at finding whatever she wanted at the, with the money she had so that was a great mm, thing and I inherited yeah to be kind of savvy and you know to search out for things um and then my dad just did not like letting go of money so money was just for education mm-hmm. and housing mm-hmm. it wasn't for fun it wasn't to be enjoyed it wasn't for pleasure or holidays or material things yeah so I had these kind of mixed messages and my father was extremely strict. So I rebelled because money meant freedom to me. Yes. So I used it on travel. I used it on clothes, on the things that I felt limited by in my teenage years. Mm. Um, but it all changed because when I was 28, I decided that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Wow. <laughs> so I bought a house in London which was a very good move whilst I had my salary to get a home loan. And then I jumped off with no savings, with no safety net. <laughs> Do not recommend doing entrepreneurship like this. <laughs> and it was extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. And then everybody around me said, oh, I can't believe you're leaving such a good job. Are you sure you know what you're doing? And um, I went back to university And I studied interior architecture and then photography. I couldn't decide between doing interior design or photography, but I knew I wanted to do something I loved and earn a living doing that. So I started my first business when I was 30, doing bootstrapping with part-time jobs, with waitressing, with temping. So I'd gone from having like a career job to then basically sort of doing part-time work, mm-hmm. which wasn't as bad as you think because actually ha- after having a lot of responsibility, I enjoyed the freedom. Um, but what happened was when I had to start asking for money from my photography, it triggered all of my money blocks. Mm. So You mean when you were getting, securing clients and, and charging for the jobs? Okay. Yeah, because when I was in the company, I was working in advertising in a big London advertising agency. And I did used to have to spend money, but I was negotiating on behalf of clients and big brands. Mm -hmm. And so when you were asking for a deal or when you were negotiating things, it wasn't your money or your self-worth. And then suddenly I had to say to someone, I'm going to charge you a thousand pounds to photograph your wedding. And it sounded like so much money. Yes. And it's interesting because if you were negotiating oh, that like, for your for your company, you would have asked for that no problem, right? Exactly. Yeah, this is good because exactly. I think Which this is, is what women struggle with. So I really want to get into this about how you shifted that. So yes, this is great. Yeah, and I find especially women come from corporate, you know, maybe they're in a sales job or they're used to negotiating deals mm-hmm. and they think, you know, this, this I'm going to be fine. I've got like, I teach people how to do this stuff mm-hmm. and then they become an entrepreneur and it's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. When you're asking for money for you personally and then yes. people are trying to negotiate with you personally for your love, your energy, your wisdom, your right. gifts. It's a very different uh, transaction. So that was a crash course through my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, managing money, handling money, uh, negotiating, um, raising my rates. I moved through these kind of journeys. Um, being responsible for tax, 
So I used to basically just close my eyes until our tax years, January. And so every <laughs> January, I would freak out and I would have to mark it like crazy. And I'd get the money in on like the 30th of January. Oh, goodness. Polly- <laughs> and then I'd breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> that is so funny. But yeah. Polly, what did you actually do? to charge for what you were worth? Or is that further along in the journey? Should we put, put that a pause on that? Yeah, that will come because okay. I think when I really made a significant up level, um, I did raise my rates, but it was like gradual over about seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I justified it because there was something different about my product. So I shot on film, my work looked different. Mm. And I had higher costs. So in a way, I was using positioning and my brand to differentiate myself. And that worked very well. And it's interesting. And I didn't mean to interrupt you that to you to justify at the time. It was to justify charging more. Very interesting because that's what we do, I think, as women. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad that's an interesting. Totally. Yeah. And also we tend to feel guilty. If we charge high prices, we think, oh, gosh, I feel really bad because they're struggling to afford me or, you know, ch- they can't take their children on holiday. So I'll take on their feeling. That's right. So empathic that we'll take on someone else's bad feelings about spending money or not being able to afford something. And we'll take responsibility. We think, oh, gosh, it's her wedding. She's been saving up for 10 years. You know what? I'll help her out. I'll discount. <laughs> right, right. Whereas men tend to be a lot more like, no, that's my rates. That's I'm right. worth way, way more than that. They don't take it as personally. <laughs> that's right. I think that's so, I think this is very helpful. So this is great. Okay. So there you are worrying about tax season. And where where do you go? Yeah. So we're nearing the point when I start to uncover the idea of a money mindset. Mm. So it was in my late 30s. um, I had been with a partner through my 30s and we had just got married. And then he decided to walk out right after we got married. So that was... uh, My mum also died at the same time, completely unexpectedly. And then my father got cancer. And then I just went through this incredible series of losses over about a two-year period. And everything was just stripped away. So it was like I was taken to zero, including my previously successful business. It was um, incredibly tough Hmm. to figure out how to move forward and I was under a lot of financial pressure because I, under the circumstances I was under, I was then in a divorce Mm. and I'd made some unwise financial decisions about splitting my assets when I got married. Mm. So I was suddenly in a really disadvantageous position in many ways. And this is when I discovered coaching. Mm. So... I was kind of on my knees and desperate for help. And looking online, I ended up having a conversation with a coach and realizing that's what I needed to get up from my rock bottom. Hmm. And that's sort of when my turnaround began. And 
From that, I went on to a year-long coaching program, which was a certification. Mm-hmm. But what most attracted me was the money mindset work. So this is the first time I realized, gosh, there's such a thing as a money mindset and you can change it. Yes. <laughs> I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to struggle. Like I don't have to feel guilty about having money or spending money. I don't have to always be worried about money running out or where it's going to come from. And this was just like a revelation. Mm-hmm. I thought that's just they were just facts. Right. And then it was like, no, that doesn't have to be a fact. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was obsessed at this point. Mm-hmm. It was like someone had drawn back the curtains and they were like, it doesn't have to be like this, Polly. Hmm. So I started reading money mindset books. I started doing affirmations. I just really immersed myself into learning about money and understanding about what contributed to a money mindset. And at first it was doing work with my conscious beliefs. And then about a year later, I discovered healing work and uncovering subconscious beliefs. Um, And that had an even more radical impact. I went... Uh, when I started working on the subconscious beliefs, um, and I'm happy to share more about this. Yeah, I'd love um, to hear what that involved for sure. Um, I, my income went from like four, I think it was 4K to 8K to 16K to 32K month on month. Hmm. And I know that was supposed to happen to make me realize the power of this work because I don't think it would have caught my attention if I just made an extra 500 or 1,000. But because it was so radical... I ended up learning how to do the work and ended up becoming um, a guide or a leader for others to do the work. So, yeah, it's like being life-changing. Wow. Okay. So, so many things I want to cover there. This is such a great story. And I think one that's going to definitely inspire the women listening. So you talked about what I would consider the limiting beliefs. So there were definitely limiting beliefs, but then there was the subconscious work. So there were the sort of the overt messages that people get, and then there was something else that you did. Um, can you take us into, you know, what are some of the key limiting beliefs that you see, but then also what this subconscious work looked like? Because it sounds like that was the real tipping point to help bring in all the abundance that you... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, women carry a lot of money blocks. Yes. Um, So we've got, just to give you an overview, we carry some of our money blocks from childhood, Mm -hmm. uh, just like all limiting beliefs, uh, the way we saw our parents behave around money, um, how they handled money, their thoughts and words around money. Um, For example, um, you know, what discussions were had, were there arguments around money, did money um, circumstances change during a divorce? Mm. And I've worked with quite a lot of clients who perhaps had money and then suddenly didn't have any Mm. and the reverse had no money. And then the parent remarried and suddenly were in a different world. Mm. Um, So we've got childhood and then we've got ancestral. And this is, was the piece that was the biggest game changer for me because I'd really been operating in isolation in that mindset of we create our reality and we can manifest whatever we want. And I, That is true. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we bring a legacy through Mm -hmm. that we're working with from our ancestors. And it was around the time I was doing this money work. And my father, and he's 85 years old now, so he was about 80 at the time, Mm. doesn't know anything about the world I'm in. 
right. doesn't get it. <laughs> has no idea how I make money without leaving my computer. <laughs> this is alien. Right. A different culture, different, not culture, but a different time. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. He worked his way up the corporate ladder in a traditional company, went to mm-hmm. the office every day for mm-hmm. 50 years. Mm-hmm. So he wrote me this letter and he said, you know, I'm getting old now. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much longer I'll be here for. And there's something I want you to know. He said, I know you children tease me about, about being tight or tease me about talking about the, the war. He said, but you need to understand where I come from. And he said, your grandparents, meaning his parents, so they died when I was a child. So I didn't really know them. Mm. Um, he said, my, your grandmother was one of 13 children. Mm. And they were so poor, they didn't even have a home. Mm. So they, in the Victorian times here in the UK, they would have uh, things called workhouses mm. where the very, very poor could go and work in exchange for a bed and food. Wow. So it was like the, you know, the most basic, like a wooden bed and some porridge, and then you would work in the factory. And he's like, that's where you come from. Yeah. And that was just two generations ago. Yeah. Where they were just surviving. And, you know, my dad always talks about when he had his first banana, like it was like finding a gold or something mm-hmm. or finding a diamond. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, this, this wasn't that long ago. I worked four jobs to get by our first home before we had you. And I realized that and this is the same for much of humanity, that we come from actual poverty. Mm-hmm. And most of us come in with programming, strong programming around money and security and safety and what's possible in life. And that comes in in our DNA through our ancestors. So even if it's not spoken about or discussed, we can be carrying that in our DNA without realizing. And then we bump up and we're trying to start a business or we're trying to grow it and, or we're trying to get a promotion at work and we just can't understand why we keep hitting this ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe not our stuff. It's our stuff we've come through. We've, I personally believe that we incarnate in the family line to heal it. Mm-hmm. I do too, Polly. I do oh, too. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. for sure. Because I believe we heal the past for our ancestors and we are also sending energetically of a new future for our, our, our children. I feel yes. like it goes both ways. But yes, I believe that completely. Exactly. So we're, we're healing the wounds and the mm-hmm. dysfunction in our yes. family line. And one of those dysfunctions and wounds is very often around money. Yeah. Uh, around the appropriate use of money, you know, in a balanced, harmonious, positive relationship with money. Um, and very often it is dysfunctional. Even if there was money present, it can, may have been used as a tool. So the wife may have been subservient to the husband because he made the money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's so you, when you've told, so did your dad write a letter? Is that what yeah. he did? Yeah, so he wrote me a letter telling me that about my family background as I was doing this money work. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't just about me. Yeah. And I had no idea. Well, actually, that's not true because I will just share that I was on a honeymoon and it rained. I was on a honeymoon in California mm. and I went to see a shaman 
with my new husband. And he actually told me that I was, my job was to heal the pain of my ancestors. Mm. And he told my husband that he was here just to have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doesn't seem fair. (laughs) Maybe that was the beginning of the end for the relationship. Oh, for goodness sakes. Oh, that is (laughs) actually funny. I certainly thought, hold on, how come you got the good deal? Exactly. You're like, hmm, let's switch this. I have to say, as you were, you're telling me about your dad, I'm actually sitting here. We can't see each other. Now we've turned off our video component, but I have tears in my eyes. So that I have so much, such compassion for your father. And then thinking about my parents and the generations. And like you said, they've, there's a, uh, they've worked so hard. And everything is so focused around family and creating that better future. And so this is actually one of the reasons I'm so happy we're having this conversation. I feel like we're the first generation that can really think about self-actualization. And, you know, there's, when you watch your parents work so hard, you, I think, adopt a good work ethic. You know, you have a sense of wanting to work harder and create that and, We're just in interesting times where, you know, I think a lot of the generations who haven't seen that, there's a sense of entitlement and there's a lot of people that are lost around this stuff. So this is, there's so many layers here, but I just really was deeply moved by the story that your dad wrote and the fact that at 85, he wanted to share that, you know, he, he knew that it was an important message for you. Do you have siblings? Do you have siblings, Polly? Yes. Yeah, for you and your siblings to understand about the decisions he made. It's really deeply moving. Yeah, I think on some level, although he's not able to articulate things or discuss certain things, I believe sort of energetically he was guided and he felt the work I was doing, Mm. even though we were not able to have conscious discussions around it. Mm, That's amazing. Yes, you were doing your deep work and somehow he was moved to, to explain his part of it, which helps you create more awareness around the patterns, which is amazing. Yeah. And actually, um, it's interesting you say that, or we talk about that because there was uh, one of my personal dynamics around money is that my father hasn't supported me, Mm. that he never wanted to give me money, but gives money to my brother's. And this is actually quite common, this sibling and also inheritance piece. I've also dealt with this uh, in private work with clients. Um, so my mother used to give me money and say, don't tell your father. She used to slip me cash. <laughs> so which obviously contributed to my shame about having money. <laughs> like, don't tell anyone. Keep it a secret. You'll get in trouble. <laughs> Now, I didn't know it at the time. She did this until the day she died. I was 38 when she died and she was still doing it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I just thought it was awesome of my mom. I thought it was super kind because she'd like siphon it off the money my dad gave her for housekeeping. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But um, one of the things when I started doing this money work and doing this healing, um, there was a point in the last few years when my father felt called to give me some money. Mm. which was so significant. And he put it towards a dream I had as well. He said, I know this is a dream and I want to give you this contribution. Perhaps you want to spend it on that. Mm. And it wasn't something he could relate to or necessarily approved of. And it was something he'd never done before. But something in him 
And I had to do a lot of forgiveness and a lot of compassion work towards him mm-hmm. and, and to understand that he wasn't being mean, that, you know, it, his beliefs were um, a consequence of his upbringing 100%. and his history. But it, I noticed when I did this inner work, it changed how he behaved to me. I was gobsmacked. I was more shocked that I'm doing all this money work and then he behaved like that. That was the win for me, not the actual cash. It was the like, wow. Like I'm changing these family dynamics by working on myself. We don't even need to have a conversation together. He shifts when I shift. Totally. That's the beginning of the healing of the lineage. Like that's why I think it was so moving. Like that was the perfect example. He felt compelled to give you money because of the work you were doing. You started the healing process. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people to know because when you either have no relationship with a parent or a significant, you know, perhaps ex-partner or family member because they've passed or you're not in contact, it can sometimes feel like, well, how am I going to heal that? Mm. And you can heal whether someone's present or whether you can have a dialogue with them or not. So what were some of the things that you were doing? Because I'm sure people are curious now. What was the work that you were doing that was opening this all up? Yeah. So there's a lot of um, looking at, like diving back. So one of the things is to look at, like, the fact, what did you learn from your mother or what did you learn from your father about money? Mm -hmm. And to sit and reflect on that with a journal. So just actually, and that's something that we do in Money Beautifully, my program. So I take people through a process, but it's like looking back and thinking, well, maybe they didn't say anything to you, but what did, what were the meanings of what they did? Mm -hmm. What did they teach you about money through their actions or their behaviors or their habits? Yeah. What did they model? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I also had to learn to actually have fun with money. Mm-hmm. because money had been this heavy energy, this dutiful energy. There wasn't really anything joyful. So one of the things I learned to do was to get clear on what was joyful for me to spend money on and to allow myself to do that. So it started with just like manicures mm-hmm. and to have a manicure consistently. Mm-hmm. That felt like the most decadent thing in the world rather than just one for weddings or nights out. Right. Um, I also had to get intimate with money. So one of the biggest money blocks is when, if you imagine money is like your partner, your husband or your boyfriend, and it's, if, you've got a, if you're communicating regularly and you hang out together a lot, your relationship's going to be better. They're going to be there for you more. Mm-hmm. And when you basically only talk to them once a month or like I used to just once a year in January, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'd look right. at my my accounts and my tax. <laughs> I speak to my accountant. Guess what? I didn't have a very great relationship. Money wasn't really there for me. Mm-hmm. We'd argue, we'd bicker, we'd fall out. I'd love it when it was there, but I'd hate it when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was resentful and angry. So you have to re- uh, improve your relationship with money. So for me, started by literally getting tracking, and I still do it to this day. Like every Monday morning. I write down the balance in all of my accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I write down balance on any credit cards, any loans. I get really conscious with my numbers. At the end of every month, I do a money date and I look at what I spent and I'm like, did that feel good? Mm. I look at what I earned, what I spent. I'm like, oh, I could have been more generous to myself. 
Or I discovered I was spending quite a lot of money on eating out a few years ago, and I actually don't value it that much. Mm -hmm. So I switched some of that budget and put more into clothes, and that brought me a lot of joy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and raised my vibration and made me happier. So so I had to like um, develop a relationship with money, get intimate with it, and also just develop like a value relationship, get really clear on what do I value, and then give myself permission to spend on the things I valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. Let me ask you something though, because when you invested in that coach, it sounded like you were financially not in a good place, or maybe you didn't have the savings. Mm-hmm. People, I think, struggle with how to balance where to invest when they don't have the money. That that fine line of getting to that place of abundance by investing in themselves, but then being cautious about wanting to invest in themselves because they don't have the money. Yeah. So. This comes to this big belief. So there's two main beliefs I see. Two of the biggest limiting beliefs around money are I'm not enough, Mm -hmm. so I'm not enough for more, and there's not enough. Mm. So this one to me falls into there's not enough money. So most people, I would say 98% of people I've ever done a discovery call for coaching with or a program, they have the access to the money but they're scared to spend it. Oh, interesting. They have it. They don't want, they're afraid to spend it. They have access to it. Yeah. Now, access to it might mean a credit card. Sure. It could mean asking a family member. Yeah. It could mean spending savings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have it in their current account. But it makes no difference in my experience. Right. Um, they will use the blanket term. And this is one of the terms you have to drop if you want to improve your money. So you have to stop saying, I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Because it's simply not true. You can choose not to invest in something or say that's not a priority for me right now. But if you keep saying I can't afford it, you're going to keep attracting situations where you can't afford it. And it just positions you as not being enough and there's not enough. But this goes back to when people are scared to spend money because it's like it's a limited resource. It's like, well, when I spend it, it's gone. And there's this fear of money not coming back in. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be this shift to I'm spending it so it can come back in. Money is designed to be a flow. It's designed to come to us, Mm -hmm. through us, and then back out from us. Mm -hmm. An energy exchange. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I had to work on my mindset of believing that there is enough money in the world and there's more than enough for everyone. There's not a shortage of money. And I had to stop buying into other people's stories around money. So that's in clients, when you're doing a call with a client, whatever you sell, whether it's a product or a service, not buying into their story around money. Right. And this is about your relationship. Yeah. And as I always say, you know, God or spirit is your source, not your clients. Will you talk about money being a spiritual journey? Can you elaborate? Because I think that's kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to me, like money, money is, as you mentioned already, money is energy. And a lot of it is about our relationship with source or God or spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we trust that we'll be taken care of, then we do dare to invest in something that feels so right to us. We do tear, dare to leave a job and start a business. Mm-hmm. We do dare to spend money on that round the world trip because we know there's more money. And it will come back. And so when we have that deep seated sense that we're taken care of and we're safe and we're protected and we trust that we'll be provided for, um, it allows us to take risks. Mm -hmm. Um, The 
I, I believe money is a spiritual journey because it's a reflection of what's going on inside you. Mm. So it mirrors back what's going on. Um, and 80% of money, I believe, is an inner game and only 20% is the actions you take. So you do need some business knowledge or some sales knowledge or some tools or techniques or things set up to receive money through. So you need channels set up yeah. and you need, to, but it's only, I believe about 20%, 80% is what's going on in your energy and in your mindset. That has a bigger shift. I've seen people triple their money in 10 weeks just through changing the money mindset, not taking any different action at all just changing those inner beliefs around money. So you talked about, um, you know, going through and examining all those limiting beliefs and what the money story was in your family. What are some of the other steps? Like what are some steps people can do to start shifting it for themselves to start attracting in that abundance? Yeah. Um, so every single day, tracking money and abundance that you receive. Hmm. It's really simple. We have this sheet in Money Beautifully, but anyone can make one. And you just write down each day any cash that's come into your account or been given to you and anything that you've received that you could attribute a monetary value to. So if I took you for lunch, you'd log that as a value of abundance. Nice. Um, you obviously can't log things like compliments or, you know, if someone offers, gives you some critique on your website for free yes. or a coach gives you some time, you know, you log all of those things. And what people realize when they do this, because we do it as part of Money Beautifully, my program, mm -hmm. they're like, oh my God, I'm so abundant. I had no idea. I might have made a thousand this month, but I made 4,000 in abundance. Wow. So that. my true wealth is 5,000. And it just flips it around in their mind. So that's a really simple thing. Um, and that is linked very closely to gratitude, being grateful for what you already have. Because when we want to raise our money, we're very focused on what we don't have or where we're not there yet. And you have to find a way to switch from lack to abundance, from scarcity thinking to the abundant thinking and being grateful for what you have, even if it's just $100 in your bank account uh, or it's the home that maybe isn't perfect because you're looking to manifest a new one, but you start to really love that home. So whenever I'm looking to manifest a new home, I start really loving on my current home, mm -hmm. buying flowers, new bed linen, just noticing all its good qualities, being super grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And that helps the new come in. If you've got clients, like be really grateful for the clients you have, and that'll help you more come in. Yeah, I live by this. So I'm loving this conversation so much. But Polly, let me ask you, because of course now we're in this pandemic. So are these the kinds of things that you're advising clients? So you, you, you specifically work with entrepreneurs, right? So there's people who've lost their jobs. But for the entrepreneurs that you work with who are in industries, for example, where they need to be with people and maybe, you know, they can't, you know, I'm thinking, let's say of a hairdresser or massage therapist. I know this stuff is slowly opening up, but people who've taken a hit right now financially, what, what kinds of things are you advising? Yeah. So I work in Money Beautifully. We work with, I've had people in jobs, in corporate, okay. all kinds of things because the money work works across the board okay. for everyone. Um, in my mastermind, it is for entrepreneurs. Okay. And so I actually had um, a photographer during this mm -hmm. in my mastermind. Yes. Um, so for someone like that, the, I see the opportunity as an, 
I saw for myself was to go in and do the inner work. Mm. So it became like a time of incubation of like, what can I do? So I come out the other side of this in an even better place. What's this opportunity? I'm indoors. What can I study? What can I learn? Mm. What can I shift in me? So when we come out the other side, I've actually, I'm ready to really elevate and move forward. I love that. So the first, first thing I would say, yeah, is that, is see it as an opportunity to do the inner work. Um, some people have innovated doing other things. So I spoke to one person that's selling prints online, for example, as a photographer, offering other things. But ultimately, in that very in-person job, I think it was a matter of saying this too shall pass. Mm. This too shall pass. And just going within and saying, what's the message for me here? Do I need to innovate? Is there something new I need to offer? Do I actually just need to move into surrender and acceptance? Mm. And say, you know what, I, I can't control everything. And it's going to be tough for a few months. But I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to focus on my inner work. I'm going to, you know, obviously take practical steps. Um, there's been a lot of funding available, certainly in the UK, mm-hmm. for small businesses and grants and things. Um, but what I will say is... Um, well, I think the whole thing's a spiritual journey, to be honest, for everybody at the moment. And it's all about seeing, trusting that this is evolving in the highest good of all, seeing the bigger picture and asking different questions. Um, but what I've seen in my mastermind, the people who have online businesses, they are thriving. Hmm. So the one thing I would say to people at the moment is do not assume that people do not have money. Because I have seen personally first-hand evidence in the mastermind I belong to and in the one I run that people are spending money. Yet we can easily slip into that mindset of like no one's got any money. People are losing their jobs. And yes, some people do not have money. And yes, some people have lost their jobs. And yes, some people are struggling. But a lot of people are not. And they've got more time on their hands than ever. So one of my healers in... Uh, Europe, she's hit 12,000 months during the pandemic. I've got someone else that went from 400 a month to 3,000 to 5,000. Like people really are investing in self-development, in personal development, in their homes, in their hobbies, uh, I mean, their families, in education. I'm really seeing a lot of things thrive, but you have to be very careful if you listen to the media and you think the economy is crashing, everything's going down, no one's got any money. This is serious mindset work to not buy into that story and to really look for evidence. That's what I say. I'm like, look for evidence that people have got money. So my hairdresser came when we were allowed here about four weeks ago, my hairdresser came to my house. Mm -hmm. She said, my sister runs a salon in the UK. She said, and she's been given the most enormous grant. She said, I've never had so much money in my life. And I took that and I thought, amazing. That's a good piece of financial news. I'm going to keep thinking about that. Exactly. This is so good. But can I ask, Paul, you had at at one point a plateau in your own, uh, well, maybe it wasn't a plateau, but how did you go from increasing your um, monthly take home to having a six-figure month. That seems to be another jump in mindset to, to make that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had lots of plateaus. I've been an entrepreneur for 16 years mm-hmm. now. Okay. Uh, and I've had, lo- I've had cliff drops <laughs> as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> as one of my clients once said, she said, it's not like the taps slowed down to a drip. It's gone rusty and completely fallen off. <laughs> she said, there is no tap. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the life so, of, of an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, people don't realize that sometimes when they're embarking on it. But I think, you know, if you have the entrepreneurial mindset, you're, you're in it for the ups and downs. Exactly, exactly. You have to learn that this is normal. I did have a year when I made the consistent amount every month. But actually, um, it's more likely for me anyway, is that I'll have my I can have very big spikes. And then other months that are smaller. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Um, I don't really know many entrepreneurs that make consistent income. Yeah. Um, they can maybe make consistently above a certain amount, but there it still goes up and down. So my six figure month, so that was last that was last July. I did 150,000 in signed contracts. And I would summarize it by saying that this was really for me a call to rise higher mm. and serve deeper. Oh, I love that. I did so much inner healing and I worked so incessantly on myself for the two months before. Um, so I put a lot of it down to that is just being like, like treating myself like a project. And I've been doing that this during lockdown. Mm-hmm. I've been like working on myself like a project. So maybe like three hours a day, I'll be working on clearing beliefs or doing self-development work. Um, it's obviously easier because we've been locked indoors. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the opportunity. <laughs> right. That's the upside <laughs> if you choose to look at it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the second thing I did is I did something that was massively outside my comfort zone. And I really didn't want to do it. I resisted it for years. So people said to me, you're supposed to be doing live events. Oh. And I thought, oh, how hideous. <laughs> how terrifying. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and different mentors, you know, different psychics, different people would tell me over the years and I would ignore it. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, yeah, one day when I'm ready, when I'm ready. And then I just realized that I had to make myself ready. Mm. I had to be willing to do this and I had to be willing to crash and burn if that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop making it about me, Mm. about my fears and my worries. And I had to show up because my clients were asking as well. Mm. So I booked any an event space in another country hmm. and I basically put out that the event was happening and then I went and did it so it was a live version of my program oh, so cool. um, I can read people's money blocks intuitively so I can tune into them and I can see why and how they're blocking money have you always had that I don't mean to interrupt but <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, you in your bio, it says intuitive healer. And I was wondering how, how you got aware of that piece of it. I, I, I want to let you finish this thought, but let's come back to the intuitive piece. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I can talk about the intuitive piece now. I'm, I'm sure. Cool. Yeah. So it basically was an ability that opened up. So I believe we're all intuitive. And this is one of our most powerful gifts, yes. especially as women. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I used to just trust that things would be okay or I get a feel about what to do. And this, I wasn't overly aware of it, but um, I actually developed it more. So I started studying a modality called theta healing, which basically helps you clear limiting beliefs to open up your intuition. 
And what I found is the more I cleared my stuff. Did you say theta, like the theta state? Yeah. Okay, theta. Theta, like the brainwave. Sure. So when you go into the theta brainwave, um, it's like you can access source consciousness. So you can change um, limiting beliefs instantly in that brainwave. So it's similar, like a technique to hypnosis, I guess, Mm. in that you access this other state of consciousness and you can make changes in that state. But through working on myself just a lot, (laughs) like I said, I was a project. (laughs) And I don't know why, but life gifted me some of the circumstances that made that an easy decision. So life withheld some of the things I wanted so that I had a lot of time on my own. Um, life created some severe challenges so that I was pushed into doing this work. So I can't say I went willingly. Interesting. Um, I certainly didn't become a coach because I wanted to. I couldn't think of anything worse. I was dragged kicking and screaming into it. So funny. But this is helpful for people to hear. <laughs> right. Right, because it's not like I knew that I was destined for that or anything. And also, and I think that, oh, sorry, please go ahead. Uh, life tends to steer you onto the path you're supposed to be on. Yes. And the, the sooner you say yes, the easier it is. I've learned that. Well, what's interesting about it is that sometimes when we're trying to manifest or bring something in, there's certain things that happen, other things that take longer, and then others that steer us in a different place because we think we want something, but it's not where we're supposed to go. So it's like a combination of free will with divine path. Yeah, I love that you said that because that's absolutely what I believe. I always say that we're a co-creator. Yes, me too. (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, so I focused going back to the event. Yeah. Um, yes, sorry, to go back to the money belief. So I just did a lot of work on myself and I was told by a psychic that I would start hearing clicking in my ears. Hmm. I thought she was a bit crazy, to be honest, especially when it didn't happen, you know, like the week after the session, (laughs) I thought, oh, she's completely wrong. I only realized it was about two or three years later. I started hearing clicking in my ears and I realized that when I'm giving information from the divine or my guides, I'm not really sure where it comes from. But when I'm giving information, my ears click. We've had it, we've got it now on recordings. When I'm channeling, my ears will be clicking. What does that mean? What does that mean that they're clicking? It's just like <laughs> they they pop, they make noises. You just hear this like click, click, click in my ear. <laughs> so um, and I and I'm just shown and told what's going on. Hmm. So when I do it with groups of people in my programs. Um, I will tune into the group because people are always drawn together for a reason. They have similar journeys, similar patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'll be shown things that happened in childhood, in past lives, um, in ancestral, in their family lineages. And I'll be shown what to clear. And then I command that things are cleared. So it's God or source that does the healing. I just Mm -hmm. ask for it to be healed. Wow. Wow. So the depth of what you work, you, the work that you do goes beyond, you know, the money piece. It's this other gift that you've been given that you now bring to your clients. Um, this is so fascinating. I have a few more questions I want to ask and I'm looking at the time. So I want to be really mindful of that, but also make sure we cover this because, you know, I think people will be probably curious what you do. So a lot of the six and seven figure entrepreneurs who have come on have systems uh, they've had coaches, they've had certain mindsets. I'm curious, do you have any annual practices, any monthly practices? You talked about the tracking of the money, but are there other things that you do system systematically that 
contribute to your success? Mm, that's an interesting question because you're talking to a, a freedom-loving creative here. Yes, but, <laughs> but you're also methodology. Right, but don't you think there's a there's like a methodology to do? I mean, there seems to be an, a discipline, but also the freedom within you. So I, I'm just curious. I mean, maybe there isn't. Mm. Maybe it's maybe you're no, supposed to trust in you know the higher self and go that way. I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, there is. So I started off one-to-one coaching. Um, so I have a kind of system for doing that. Um, and then I, my breakthrough really came. I could feel I was supposed to serve more people. So I started my first group program. And so that's enabled me to scale my work. And then that's had spin-offs as well, like the live event, like my mastermind. Um, it's had other products spin off that. So um, I had, I have launches. I believe in launching in my business rather than offering evergreen products. Mm. That's been very, very powerful. It works with my energy. I'm a sprinter. Mm. So for me to do the same thing a month in, month out, I would get bored. Uh, so I like to launch. So we're launching like Money Beautifully just once this year, which will be in September. And I love to create a buzz, have an event around it, and then have a process around that. And then the, the programs are very finely honed now. We have pre-recorded video content. We have beautiful workbooks that we've created. Um, I have a member of my team in the Facebook group, which is very a big part of the support. Um, we create like a vortex of energy for people to be in. Mm. So I've created a lot of materials, I would say. That's part of how I've grown the business pre-recorded materials, workbooks. I have a great team um, celebrating one of my team just launched her first online course and she hit £36,000 last month. Wow. She's 26 years old. Wow. So that's about, that's about fifty dollars to $60,000 last month. Wow. On her first course, Amazing. first launch. Wow. So, um, so I love everybody. I like all my team to be growing in abundance as I grow. And then everybody around me grows as well mm-hmm. so that we all grow together. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I would say, yeah, launching is big for me. I like that. We just, uh, we do have a, a first funnel, which I resisted for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, which is doing really well. Um, I, what else would I say? I systemize. Do you have goals on a calendar? I don't know. It just seems like a lot of, like I said, the six and seven figure women have very, but you just talked about your methodical approach. I think that was great, actually. Yeah, that's on the business side. Personally, yes, I set goals at the beginning of every month. My life changes so fast. Sometimes um, what I do doesn't relate to my goals and I pivot a lot. Mm. So I pivoted during the pandemic. I launched a brand new product. My mentor said, what are you doing? you're crazy and I'm like no I have to launch this next week I know I do I know it's not fully ready Mm. it needs to come out so I'm very spontaneous I allow myself that freedom within my business Um, I think things that have helped the business are things like payment plans have really helped have consistent income each month Um, uh, managing my money carefully so I can manage the up the roller coaster of entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when there's a big month not spending it all up month at once like I used to mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then panicking the next month um, but I do um, every single day I start the morning and I do energy clearing so I release all of the fear anxiety panic in the economy at the moment I replace release the collective negative energy 
Um, then I connect to source. I cleanse my energy field and I meditate with crystals every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, meditated again in the afternoon. And I do goal set every month, but I do something that's, I'll write a list. So I'll think of it like a stretch goal. So let's say this month I decided I wanted to make 100K. Then I might write like, oh, what would it feel like to make 100K? Who's the woman that makes 100K? How is she behaving? What is she doing? And I'll describe her and then I'll see how I can start to embody her. Mm. I'm like, oh, she would not be going to the supermarket and getting her own shopping and spending three hours in the day you know, with a mask and the gloves and it's <laughs> really not loving that. <laughs> Getting shouted at in Spanish because she forgot her gloves. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that does not feel like a six-figure woman. So I'll start to tune into that woman. And you can do this at any level. Mm. You know, the woman that makes 5K a month or the woman that makes 10K a month. How is she behaving? Mm. What is she saying yes to and what is she saying no to? Mm. So I just ordered today. It's being delivered right now. I ordered my lunches for the week. So I support a local business who've struggled during the pandemic Mm. and they deliver my food to my home. Cooking does not light me up. I'm not into that. Mm -hmm. And come to my house for dinner. Mm -hmm. I can do you a great sunset drink, Mm -hmm. but then we need to order food in. Yes, I'm I'm like you on that, Polly. (laughs) Awesome. I'm like, you've got to know, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. You just got to know where you want to focus your energy Mm -hmm. and your love and your care. So... Um, yeah, letting go of some things, um, doing things differently. That's a part of my mindset going into that month. And then I play around with, well, where could the money come from? And I'll make this big list of all these weird and wonderful ways the money could come in rather than being fixed on. I've got to get three yeses from or yes from that person. So rather than being fixed where it's coming from, I just get creative. And I'm like, oh, I could sell 10 of those or 20 of those. Or what if I had that conversation? So I try and keep it loose. For me, because I find if I get too fixated on a certain route, a certain goal, it can stress me out. Um, and just leaning into service, that's the biggest thing I would mm. say when you're leaning, leaning into service, focusing on how you can help people. Because that's the money you make is a reflection of how much of a difference you're making. Mm. And people need to know that because I think so many people love serving, but they're not good at receiving. So mm-hmm. by realizing the more that you make, the more you can serve and then, right? Right. And if you want to serve more people, you're going to need to have a team because there's only so much you can do on your own. If you really want to impact the world in a bigger way, you're going to have to have people to help you run these programs, put on these events, mm-hmm. get that book out. And so the money helps you do that. Plus, we want more, ha- more money in the hands of good people in the world. Yes. Yes. I have loved this conversation so much. Um, Can you, uh, there's more that I would love to, actually, let me ask you one more question before I go to the final one. Do you use affirmations? Because I think people's association with mindset is solely around affirmations. Um, I do, but they're an add-on. Right. Um, The reason is because they only work on the conscious mind, which is about 10%. Yes. So I do think they're very useful. And when I'm in in a sticky spot, I'm struggling I will stick them on the wall next to my desk Mm -hmm. and I'll keep looking at them Mm -hmm. I can do this I am worthy of this Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I'm always supported when I follow my mission so I do find them useful but when I was doing my money work um you know I think my turnover rose 
my revenue rose by like 50% in a year just doing affirmations. But when I started doing the inner healing, mm-hmm. the subconscious work, yeah. that's when it really accelerated. So I do think they're useful to keep you on track during the day. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and they do impact the subconscious mind. It's just slower. Yeah. I completely agree. I love that. Um, okay. Can you please leave the women listening with your three best tips on living which should maybe we'll say a beautiful life instead of a good life, a beautiful life. Oh, a good and beautiful life. A good and beautiful <laughs> life. Not limit. Yes, right. Why, why limit ourselves? <laughs> yeah. So the first one um, is just to spend time every day connecting with spirit. So your higher self or God or the universe and ask questions and listen for answers. Do you do that with a journal, Polly? Because that's how I do it. I'm just curious what other people's processes are. Yeah, absolutely. My most powerful way by far is to journal. Mm -hmm. It's to literally write, when I've got a problem, how can I move forward here? I'll literally write it like a sentence in my journal, underline it, and I'll sit and wait. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like you're making up the answer. Totally. Go with that. (laughs) Yes. And I ask sometimes, I'm like, is this me talking or, but usually I know the difference because when I go back and read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so deep. Like this is not something I would have consciously written. And then I realized that was definitely a higher power hit there. So that's, that's right. Great. I love that. Okay. And the voice of a higher power of, of news is slightly different language. Yes. Sometimes it can be a bit old fashioned mm-hmm. and shorter sentences. Mm-hmm. Much more I clear. Sometimes say, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, this is good. This is fun. Okay. So you journal, that's how you do it. And do you usually meditate first? Because uh, no, no, I go straight to the journal. I yeah. love the journal. Me it's too. been literally. I have these big leather purple books. They're like my bibles. Mm. They have all of my ideas, my breakthroughs. Everything lives in those journals. Um, I will not go anywhere without it, even though they weigh a ton because they're big. <laughs> <laughs> I always, in my hand luggage, you've got ten kilos. A kilo of that is my journal. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so number two. Uh, number two, I would say um, undo all of your conditioning, uncover mm-hmm. and undo your conditioning because so much of what holds you back isn't even yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just the more you clean, it's like polishing a diamond that they've been found buried in the earth. The more that you clean, it allows your truth and your beauty and your magnificence and your gifts to share. So you don't have to go out looking for them. You just have to clear the dirt that's obscuring them. Mm. Love, love that. And my third tip is just to be present. Mm. And I know that you talk a lot about this. And, but presence determines the quality of your experience. And it makes you feel more abundant. It makes you appreciate things more. And presence is also one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone else. So my hands are in sort of a gratitude stance right now. This is such a beautiful conversation. I loved what you shared and your journey and the work that you do. Where can people learn more about you and what you do, Polly? Where can I send them? Sure. Um, they can go to my website, which is pollyalexander.com. Um, Alexander ends in D-R-E dot com. 
And then on social media, I'm an Instagrammer. That's my fave place because mm-hmm. I was a photographer. So oh. I'm an image maker. Yeah. <laughs> so always love all the images. And I'm Polly underscore Alexander on there. Awesome. Um, I also have a really powerful meditation, mm. um, a success meditation, which is on my website that you can sign up for. And that does this subconscious work. So I start clearing limiting beliefs in that. So people can go try that and experience it and see if that way of working is for them. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. This has really been such a pleasure. Thank you, Polly. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. I loved our conversation. Oh, it's been you. amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Polly as much as I did. I loved it so much that I wanted to learn more about Polly's work and ended up signing up for her Abundance Accelerator Program, which you can find the link to over in the show notes page, which is thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 094. It's a 14-day guided meditation. Each meditation is about 15 minutes long. And I found that I could not wait to sit down and do them, which is not how I usually feel about a meditation, but her voice is really grounding and empowering, as are the messages within these meditations. Everything from self-esteem to self-worth to fear of failure, fear of success, letting go of ancestral blocks, and so much more. It was really a powerful series. So if you are interested in doing further work, you can find the link to that course over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 094. And if you did enjoy today's interview, be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks as always for tuning in and I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Bye.